Hello, and welcome to Fortune's Wheelhouse, a podcast about esoterics and the tarot. I'm Susie Chang, and my co-host is Mel Moline. The podcast ended its run in 2021, but all Fortune's Wheelhouse episodes remain available for all tarot explorers to enjoy. And we'll be periodically updating the intro and the outro with news and offerings from your co-hosts. The big news for me right now is that my latest book, The Living Tarot, is now out. This is the book version of my online class, which is also called The Living Tarot. Whether you go for the book or the class or both, the idea here is to help you recognize how the images in the cards relate to your everyday, ordinary life. As you master that language of fluent metaphor, you'll enter into a deep, rich conversation with the world of symbol. And that conversation, I personally believe, is the key to re-enchanting your own life. If you're new to tarot, this is the book that will get you up and running. And if you're an experienced reader already, it's meant to help fill in any remaining gaps that you might or might not realize that you have. And if you buy the book, you can send me a copy of the receipt for a $22 discount off the cost of the online living tarot class. If you're in the online class, you get a monthly Zoom meeting with me and other students, feedback from me on the major assignments, and if you graduate, a one-question reading from me. Oh my God, guys, it's such a good deal. If you'd like to send me your receipt, you can do that at tsusanchang.com slash livingtarotbook. tsusanchang.com slash livingtarotbook. Now, here's what Mel's been up to. She's just rebuilt her tarotcart.com website, which has a new info page about Thoth-inspired decks and a blog feature with weekly tarot articles. She also has a new auction site for one-of-a-kind creations, out-of-print items, prints, and original art, and that's at tarotcart.auction. Mel's first deck, the Rosetta Tarot, is back in a new large edition. It's the same size as the large edition of the Tabula Mundi Tarot, if you're familiar with that, and it has vibrant borders with English titles and correspondence symbols, and the card backs are printed with metallic ink. That's available at tarotcart.com. Mel will also soon be launching a new, ceremonially rendered, talismanic tarot. The major arcana are based on their descriptions in Alistair Crowley's 777, and the minors are based on the magical images of the Deccans, also from 777. I don't know about you, but I'm very excited about Mel's new deck. For info about when the new tarot deck launches, and auction listings, and new tarot editions, and article links, and special sales, you can sign up for Mel's newsletter via the link at tarotcart.com. As for me, I've also just created a new thing I'd like to tell you about. You know the Nine of Swords in Rider-Waite-Smith? If you're like me, you may have noticed the beautiful blanket on the bed of the person having a nervous breakdown in that card. All my life, I've wanted that blanket, and recently, I created my own. It's got red roses, hand-drawn by me, and zodiacal glyphs on a blue patchwork background, and I made it while Mars was in the second decan of Gemini. If you're listening to this podcast, you'll know why that's important. You can purchase your very own Nine of Swords blanket at redbubble.com slash people slash tarotista slash shop. If you love Fortune's Wheelhouse, 
please consider supporting us on Patreon. Your monthly donations allow us to keep these episodes on the air for our many repeat listeners. And you also gain access to the archive of hundreds of posts and articles that we wrote for our original Patreon supporters. You can sign up for a one-time or recurring donation at www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse, thereby cementing your legacy as a superhero of the astral realm and earning our undying gratitude. Once again, that's patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse. And now... Here's this week's episode. Right, welcome to the Lord of Power, or Earthly Power, the Four of Pentacles, or Discs. So this is interesting. Here we are in the final decan of Capricorn. We had the two, three, and four of Pentacles, or Discs. Uh, and this is the final chapter in our story of complete embedding in the material world. In the overall story of the element of Earth, the story of the world or universe, it's that tale of the return to the divine and the journey of the daughter. We talked about how in Capricorn, we have complete saturation or embedding in the material world. In the Taurus cards, we're going to build a bridge to the divine, a bridge between worlds. And in Virgo, we're going to leave the world behind. So in the two of discs, we talked about the engines of industry getting fired up and that sort of compression expansion engine. Then we talked in the, the Marshall three of discs about the drive to produce and construct Mars in his literally constructive form. And then now here in the four of discs, we collect the taxes and govern and hoard and amass. This is a card of about the most, um, probably the, the most worldly card we have in the deck, wouldn't you say? Yeah. And definitely as far as the Capricorn cards go, this is the one that really shows the shadow side of the devil. You know, the idea that power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yeah. And I guess it really does have that of the three of them probably has the most baleful feeling about it. But even so, it's not, you know, you can see through it to its positive and constructive sides. As yeah, well. it's got some, it's got some good things going for it too, but it's got that, um, I don't know, the, uh, that price associated with it, that tendency to hoard, as you said. Yeah. And it's interesting that it's called the Lord of Power because, or earthly power. We don't really have any other, minor cards that have the word power in the name, do we? I don't I think so think off of the top any. of my head. Yeah, yeah, it's not it's not pinging anything. And then we have the major arcanum, the the magus, the magus of power. So if you think about those two cards, the magus card or magician card and this card, this sort of makes you think of, you know, the bargains that magicians traditionally made for power and money and fame and 
those sorts of things. It's a very mundane view of power as opposed to the, you know, what the magician is capable of doing, which is, you know, infinitely more expansive than that. Right. And it almost couldn't be anything other than that with this combination of influences on the card. I mean, you have you have Hesed, which is Jupiter, the king of the gods. You have the sun as the ruler of the planets, and you have Capricorn as like the chief executive. You know, <laughs> it couldn't true. be anything else. It couldn't be anything else. Yeah, and the lord of the gates of matter. Yeah, yeah. So astrologically, as we've been alluding to, this is the sun ruling over the final decan of Capricorn, and the sun has no particular dignity worth noticing um, in here, except that it's still, you know, throughout the sign of Capricorn, we're talking about the increase of the light in the Northern Hemisphere or the decrease in the Southern. That remains a story that we still see in these cards. In the other... Yeah, it's not mm -hmm. particular dignity, but it is the sign where the sun is, at least here in the Northern Hemisphere, considered to be reborn. Right, exactly. Uh, it's still not far away from the solstice point. Actually, I might as well bring this in now. Although, you know, it doesn't include the either the Yule celebration we saw in the two or the conventional New Year celebration we saw in the three, it does include something that's called the Old New Year. I don't know if you've ever run across this. It's interesting. Apparently, it goes by the Julian calendar. And the Eastern Orthodox Church uses it in a number of other sort of weird little spots throughout the world, Eastern Europe, but also the Gales actually have a an observance of it. And it's like on the 14th of January or so. And hmm. yeah, it's really cool because... Say more about it because it's not ringing a bell yet, but maybe something will trigger yeah. a memory. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a weird little holiday. It's a pagan one. Uh, it's traditional. It sort of used to be aligned to, I guess, the lunar Julian calendar, but now it's just sort of an artifact of previous faith ways. And it's associated with singing and dancing and drinking. <laughs> of course <laughs> it is. Of course <clears throat> it is. Yeah. And it's a very Northern Hemisphere sort of thing. So, you know, people are trying to warm themselves up and people are stuck inside and <laughs> stuck inside better to do exactly right. and it's been you know it's been it's been a while since the regular new year <laughs> and i guess they need a little cheering up there's a tiny little tradition i learned about that's associated with this holiday uh in scotland it, it's really neat it's called the burning of the clavi it's just this little seaside town this that celebrates this and the clavi is this alcohol cask that is like split in two and then filled with tar. And then it's paraded through the town. Uh, like how on bizarre. A, yeah, on a pole. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's like, well, you know how it is with these winter holidays. Everybody likes to light shit on fire. You know, it yeah, makes right. them feel better. So well, every um, pagan holiday involves <laughs> something burning. <laughs> yeah, even in the middle of the summer, right? <laughs> yeah, right. that's true. So they, they light this thing on fire and parade it through the town. And it's, and it's actually quite a tourist attraction. Um, only, Tourists are not allowed to participate. Only the villagers can. It's allowed to burn down to the ground. And uh, and then when it's just down to live coals, everyone rushes in and takes a live coal and lights their home fire with it. Oh, so, okay. So yeah, so it's another sort of analog for the increase of the light or the tending of the light, I guess. Yeah. Um, 
but also a wicked good excuse for a drink, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like a little bit of the Vestal Virgin thing too, you know, the Yeah. The the, the coal fire, the tending the hearth fire. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's sort of like, I like to think of these as, you know, they're nighttime celebrations, but when you take a little piece of the fire back home, it's like taking a little piece of the sun back with you. So that's yeah. sort of, sort of appropriate for this time of year in the Stecken. Yeah, it's like the Yule log tradition. Um, yeah. You know, you, you, you save a piece of the, you don't let it burn all the way. You save a piece of it and you start the next year's fire on, on the, the solstice. Yeah, it's amazing how many of these holidays have to do with cycles and continuity and just the hope that you can carry on for another year somehow. Right. <laughs> Other um sun cards are interesting to kind of look at. Like we have the sun in Aries and the three of wands, uh, the Lord of Virtue. We have the sun in Gemini, um, the Lord of Rune, the Ten of Swords. Uh, the sun in Virgo, eight of discs, prudence, the sun in Scorpio, six of cups, pleasure. And then the sun in Capricorn. Here we are with it. The, uh, the final one in the cycle of the, of the astrological year, the four of discs being power. So, so it's, it's interesting that all of these expressions of the sun, you know, are by and large, except for the one in Gemini, they're, they're pretty straightforward and they're pretty, positive. But there's definitely something about that special relationship of the ruler of the skies, the sun, and the ruler of the gates of matter, the devil, that gives us a different flavor. You know, I was thinking about it. Isn't it funny that, you know, when you think about sort of conventional representations of the devil, we're talking about someone who is the lord of the place where the sun don't shine, <laughs> you know? Mm. Yeah. So they're opposites in a way, the sun and the devil card. You know, if you look at the Rider weight imagery, you have an image of freedom and an image of bondage. It's yeah, the devil's kind of odd because you think of the devil card as very much associated with darkness and you see that in the colors of the card even. But then there's also the idea of Lucifer the light bringer. Yeah, that is really interesting. The idea that there's definitely a contest in this card over the meaning of the light, what has value in this world. And I think that solar cards are cards about value, what we think is worthy and noble in this life. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a kind of negotiation going on between the devil who sees the value in the material world and the more sort of broad conventional meanings of the sun as a spiritual force bringing in the Lucifer myth a little bit, I think that there's a, a real connection in the lore of the devil figure that involves a kind of suspicion of the light of knowledge, you know, that yeah. goes back to the garden, really, you know, and the idea that... Oh my God, we're naked! <laughs> yes, exactly! <laughs> it's like, is naked good or is naked bad? Is is right. naked natural or is naked shameful? You know, and that is a question that has to do with the very nature of knowledge, you know, knowledge as carnality, which I think is the province of the devil. The kind idea. of makes me think that that we're naked thing makes me think too of that, you know, the emperor's new clothes. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. You know, everybody, you know, he card. had so much power. Everybody told him he looked marvelous. <laughs> 
<laughs> right. Yeah. Or the idea that clothes make the man, you know, I mean, there's this idea that in the Eden myth, the sort of moment of truth comes when, you know, the deity sees that they've clothed themselves. And so now they have this awareness of the material world, this sort of placing of value on the external signifiers, the clothing of the outside world, which proves that they are no longer innocent, that proves that they're worldly and knowledgeable and thus fallen. And that's when we see that connection between knowledge and evil. Yeah. So when we're dealing with the uses of knowledge in the other sun cards, you know, we see them being applied in ways that are, you know, for larger aspirational purposes, purposes that involve principle, you know, altruism, the benefit of the society as a whole. But here what we have is knowledge applied to gain, to gain power and wealth for yourself. Yeah, definitely. And I think that the devil's message of matter over spirit reinforces that. It's sort of like, how can you use your daylight hours, your <laughs> your time in the sun, your fame, your recognition, and your skills to get more of that? Yeah. We talked about skill as a as a, as a devil thing, and we've seen that kind of inflecting its way through the two and three and four of pentacles, the kind of skill combined with luck in the two, and then skill combined with drive to produce in the three. Mm -hmm. And now we have skill combined with intellect, you know, uh, in, in the four. And that's an incredibly powerful combination. I mean, you know, we think of both the sun card and the devil card have a relationship to intellect as well as knowledge. Sometimes the sun is thought of uh, as the light of the mind itself. It's also skill combined with, I guess you would call it status more so than For sure. intellect. For sure. You know? Yeah. Because I think of intellect as more a mercurial thing and the sun associated a lot with, you know, status and reputation and, you know, your position in the world. Yeah, I think what I mean is like the sort of sun as rational versus moon as irrational. That kind yeah, of trip. okay, I got you. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, but you're yeah. right. When you combine the status and you know height of the sun, and we think of the sun, and you have the status of Jupiter as well as being the four. So there's like there's a lot of status in this card, and what do you do with your status? And the devil is the lord of everything that can be gained. Mm -hmm. you know, on this, on this earth. Yes. Yeah. How do you use your status and your power and your wealth and skills? Exactly. Going back to that motto of I use. Right. Interesting. You know, well, there, there's something about it that can be both good and bad. And the, the bad side of it, when I look at this card, no matter which of these three versions of the card, Mm -hmm. It makes me think of all these articles I've been seeing recently about the the super wealthy 1%, you know, billionaires Absolutely. or millionaires, probably billionaires, you know, yeah. that have like shitloads of money. And what are they doing with it? They're building doomsday bunkers. Right. You know what I mean? Right. They're, they're, they're building their fortresses and their own prisons so that they can be the ones to survive, you know, whatever, yeah, instead of using apocalypse. their wealth in an altruistic way to better the world, 
they're just selfishly building themselves these little bunkers so that they can inherit some kind of destroyed earth and live in their little prisons. And it's kind of disgusting, right. actually. Well, yeah, I mean, there. this comes down to this question, which I kind of jotted down here. Does wealth buy freedom, right? Because that's the great illusion that if you yeah. believe that this is a what you see is what you get world, right? Like, you know, the devil associated with I in the eye. If you believe that, then you're going to invest everything you have into this one life and the comforts of that life. So there's this question of whether when you build walls, whether you're protecting what's inside of it or whether you're jailing yourself. And so is a wall, you know, protection or is it a prison? And I think yeah. that that's a real question in this card. It's definitely a theme. It's interesting, like, to think about Saturn generally, the idea that when we interact with the Lord of Boundaries, we can experience that as protective, as sort of having rules to live by, or we can experience it as limiting. It's the same thing. Okay, so maybe we can talk a little bit about Kabbalah. You already talked a little bit about the nature of chesed associated with Jupiter. This is really interesting because Jupiter has a side that we don't always talk about. Well, Jupiter has a lot of sides. <laughs> he certainly does. <laughs> and uh, one of them is, I think, as Austin said to me last week, he can be kind of a dick. <laughs> oh, yeah. All those stories of philandering Zeus. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But he's kind of lovable in a way, too. Like, he's like, he's super powerful, and yet he messes up all the time. He messes you up know? all the time. I was reading about this last night. One of the sort of forms of Jupiter is Jupiter the Demiurge. This is uh, the idea of the Demiurge comes out of Plato, I think the Timaeus. And it is a really strong core belief within the system of Gnosticism. So the idea here is that the Demiurge is the lord of the material realm of this world. So there's a creator of this material world who answers to a god above that. But there's the concept that Jupiter is that. Uh, god of the material world. And yeah, I think there's that something about Hesed too being the first below the abyss, like he thinks he's God. Exactly. <laughs> but really, he's not because, you know, yeah, the, God <laughs> yeah you know? the supernals are above him. And, yeah. you know, and there's this real trope of the demiurge being a fallen god, you know, and a, a profoundly evil god in some ways, in, the, in all the ways that we think of materialism as evil. I'm not sure that. I accept that view of the world. <laughs> you know, I think that there's materialism and then there's appreciation of the world we live in. And I think they're two different negotiations of your view of spirit. But, mm. you know, it's a, definitely a Christian trope to separate spirit from matter and to view the upward ascension towards the divine as an escape from your mortal shell and the body is evil, etc. That whole... Is existence suffering or is existence pure joy thing, you know? Really interesting to think about chesed generally. I did a little bit of looking into the nature of chesed last night, just because it's kind of our last go-round with the four. It's so funny to see chesed depicted in this very material life because 
In Judaism, chesed means, well, you know, it means mercy. It means goodness. And it's a really core principle. It means the idea of going kind of above and beyond what's expected of you. So like the chasidim, they are, you know, that's cognate with chesed. The idea that uh, you devote yourself to piety in a way that's more than's necessary. And chesed is also core principle in tikkun olam, the idea of repairing the world. So, you know, there's this idea that you engage with the material world to make it better, you know, to, to bring it into alignment with divinity. Uh, when I was a young person, I was lucky enough to go to music school. And while I was there, you know, because I was a pianist and I couldn't be in orchestra, all the pianists were in chorus. While we were in chorus, one of the things we learned was the Chichester Psalms by Leonard Bernstein, which is a wonderful soaring piece of music that's sung in Hebrew. And the second movement of it is absolutely gorgeous. I recommend anybody who enjoys classical music to listen to it. It's the 23rd Psalm sung in Hebrew. And at the end of it, there's a line, you know, uh, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And Hesed is in there. It goes, Ach tov va Hesed yir defuni kol yemei And that idea of, you know, the unending benevolence of God is something that's associated with Hesed, you know. And so when we, when we look at Hesed in Asiya, the four in this earthly realm, that is the appreciation for the wealth of the earth. We see, I guess, that it can really turn against you, <laughs> unfortunately, because to view the wealth of the earth as limited, as uh, something that you should hoard and save up, it fundamentally mm -hmm. contradicts the nature of chesed, I think. Yeah. What's really interesting about that is when you think about Hesed, you have to also consider Geborah, right? Yeah. So Hesed gives and Geborah takes away. And maybe in this card, we're seeing a little bit of, about, you know, that cleaving to wanting to hoard and, and cling is kind of like the fear of the opposite side of Absolutely. I think that's true. You and know, one guess, builds up and one tears down and here you just want to hold on to it and, you know, because they're, control they're issue. opposite each other on the tree. Right. It reminds me a little bit of, I, I'm not quite sure of this, you'd probably know better what the virtue and vice of Chesed are. Is it humility versus tyranny, something like that? The virtue is obedience Oh, Which is interesting okay. in consideration with Jupiter as, you know, law and order and things like that. And so mm -hmm. there's the virtue is to, you know, obey the law or whatever, obedience. And then the vices are all of Jupiter's excesses, really. Uh, bigotry, yeah. hypocrisy, gluttony, and tyranny. That's it. So obedience versus tyranny. And I think, you know, I, the one I picked up on was humility, the idea that you rule to serve. The um, kingship that has been conferred upon you, you have only as an obligation to others, I think is the idea of obedience or humility. But tyranny is when the kingship becomes the thing itself, the point, the and idea the, to um, hold on. The magical image of Hesed is an enthroned king, which you really see in the Rider Waite card. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, and there's also, I think, with this um, theme of chesed as being a 
Jupiterian Sephira, there's the association with all father and sky gods. There's a real theme of paternity and patriarchy in here. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, one thing that I haven't looked into previously, but I did last night just for fun. I looked into sort of the angel and demon associated uh, with the Sephira and the, you know, and the Clipote. And the angel is Zadkiel. Now, Zadkiel's a real interesting figure because apparently he's the angel who intervened when Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac. So he's the one who stayed the hand of oh, Abraham. Mercy, benevolence. Mercy, exactly. Mm -hmm. The the relationship of fathers and sons, you know, is in there. And then the mm -hmm. demon, now this is even more interesting in a way, the demon is associated with the, you know, corresponding clipote, or I don't know what the singular of clipote is. Bother. Maybe it's clippy, like in Microsoft Word. <laughs> 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 oh man so the demon well, a lot of people thought he was a demon <laughs> he so, was yeah. a demon he was the worst <laughs> i know that's hilarious uh so uh so so the demon associated with whatever that is is um Astaroth, the famous Astaroth. So, yeah. Yeah. Astaroth is so interesting because it's associated with a ton of different things. He's, you know, a demonic duke and he's associated with like math skills and invisibility and treasure, which all of which makes sense. And I think that invisibility is real interesting because of, you know, the devil's association with sight and the eye. He's like a hedge fund manager, I guess. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> Exactly, you know, sort of working in darkness to quietly amass just unbelievable wealth. And right. Astaroth is actually, believe it or not, cognate with Astarte. So Astarte, you know, sort of mm -hmm. transformed into this, it's plural and cognate, but she kind of transformed into this lustful she-demon type thing that kind of became associated with the asteroid archetype. There's a lot of sort of spiritual discomfort loaded into this card. <laughs> the myths of the angels and demons are so great that I kind of wish that I'd gone more into them during the course of our recordings. But, you know, they're a great wormhole. Yeah, for sure. There's only so much we, we, we can do. We already spend over an hour on each card. There's only so much <laughs> <laughs> it's that true. people would have patience to listen to, I guess. <laughs> it's true. One, uh, well, one thing yeah. more about Hesed that occurred to me thinking about it is like, you know, we talked in the three about Binah and Binah is the the will to form, but in Hesed, the builder has built something. Yeah. The idea yeah, of exactly. Hesed as a build as a builder, you know, that brings forth into the material world. It crosses that threshold of the abyss and brings forth what Bina's will to form started. You have the impulse to shape and then the desire to uh to to build upon that and to add to it. Yeah, and some yeah. of the symbols of Hesed are are like solid figures as well as like scepters of root and, and crook and flail and scepter and orbs and wands of, you know, emblems of rulership. Yeah. Which is also feels right for this card. Right. And it does make me think of like the first thing we do when, when a baby is born, you know, Bina is the constriction of the birth canal, the Saturnine constriction of the birth canal that gives the baby form as it comes out. The first thing we do is, 
stick a blanket on that thing. You know, we enclose it. Oh, I thought we... they slapped it. <laughs> oh, that too. That too. <laughs> Welcome to Earth, <laughs> But it's like, here's the precious thing, now protect it, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> After you punish it. <laughs> Some mixed messages there. It is. Well, it's actually, it's very interesting what the slap does because, you know, the baby comes out kind of grayish, right? And then the first slap is the forces it to take its first breath of air. And, it, you know, that's interesting. It goes from water to air as an environment. Yeah. yeah and yep. then, you know, it's uh, wrapped up in earth. Oh, and the other thing I just wanted to mention is that, uh, I don't know if we have any thoughts about this, but it is the shadow decan of the prince or knight of swords. He of defeat and science. <laughs> yeah. His shadow or his sort of uh, the the motivator that he's getting away from is the constraints and limitations of his kingdom, you know, and this desire to engage. I think the the four implies stasis, and the five and six, the other two decans, his principal decans, imply the movement yeah, that allows outward, him. Yeah. Mm-hmm that allows all princes really to travel, to accomplish new things uh, and to go on whatever spiritual quest that they are assigned. But he still has that materialistic driver, you know, that sort of understanding of the way the world works that allows him to apply his intellect to the, to the sort of mental battlefield. So fours in general have that quality of sort of, gathering everything together, right? You know, so like in the four of wands, we have completion, the four of uh, cups, we have luxury, the four of uh, swords, we have truce, which is like gathering your thoughts together. Or gathering, this- kind of binding two things under an agreement, you know? Yeah. And then here we have gathering the actual stuff. That concept is something that uh, sort of being able to collect everything together is something really only a ruler has the authority to do. So that kind of makes sense why it's under four, why fours are associated with matter and, you know, and why fours are so stable because they, they congeal and collect and uh, yeah. into crystallized form. I think, I think Crowley calls fours like a dead end of sorts, you know? Yeah. Yeah, he does. Mm, that sounds familiar. I'm sure I read it last night. <laughs> so yeah, so Deccan imagery is pretty interesting. In the Picatrix, we have a man holding a book, which he opens and closes, and before him is the tail of a fish. I wonder if that's the goatfish. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's the goatfish. The signification is wealth and the accumulation of money and increase and embarking on trade and pressing on to a good end. So that seems really right in line with our other ideas about this card. And I think, you know, I was wondering about that. The tale of the fish, you know, there's such an association of fish with money sort of globally. Mm -hmm. Yep. There's something about them, their silver scales and the way that they swim in schools, that they tend to be a sort of figure of abundance, metaphorically, yeah. for a lot of places. So so maybe that's what that has to do with. As to the book, which he opens and closes, I don't know. I sort of thought of that as having to do with the Agrippa image, which is, um, well, there's a woman chaste in body and wise in her work and a banker gathering his money 
together on the table. So that one makes me think about CEOs, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the king was in his counting house counting all his money. (laughs) (laughs) The signification for that is pretty much right on, too. To govern in prudence, in covetousness of money, and in avarice. Mm. So, Yeah, yeah, those are spot on, huh? Those are spot on. Yeah, so I don't really know about the woman chaste in body and wise in her work, why that is the way it is. Um Maybe that's sort of like a, a positive side of this card, um, the idea that uh, you use the money wisely. Something I picked up from the Marseille cards, you know how on Marseille four of coins, there's always like a coat of arms in the middle. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that as like the bourbon coat of arms, which has three fleur-de-lis. I've seen it with like, you know, one of those eagles of empire in it. But I think it's generally sort of meant to symbolize power handed down through families, you know, the new nobility and aristocracy. And I've seen this card signify the stability and interdependence of the family in kind of a positive way as well. It doesn't have to always be, I've got mine. <laughs> right. But when people try to hoard their money, sometimes they're doing it for the preservation of the family. It's that idea, again, of safety or limits, prison or prudence. That's something that's really associated with that, with this card historically and kind of cardomantically. Atea looks at it as, you know, a present or a gift, generosity, benefit, all the sort of positive things that we associate with the collection of resources that way. But on the negative side, he calls it obstacles or bars or prevention. Uh, slowing down opposition. So it's literally like keywords for Saturn, ruler of Capricorn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> which is, and also, um, cloisters, monasteries, convent, which I think has to do with, you know, building walls to protect mm-hmm. and also to keep out. Yeah. The container. You know, there's a really funny signification in Atea, which I don't know much about, but he also associates it with the color white. Lunar medicine and the white stone, which is an alchemical thing. You know, yeah. that kind of reminds me of um, something that I read in Wang's book about Hesed, which really seems to apply in particular to, to this four rather than the other fours so much. And it was um, the emerald tablet, you know, which, okay, so it's about the philosopher's stone and it's called the operation of the sun. It brings kind of that in too. And then, it, you know, especially when you look at Crowley's card with the, the four elements on the watchtowers, which we'll talk about. Yeah. But it, it goes through, you know, its father is the sun, its mother's the moon, it's in the belly of the wind and nursed Neat. by the earth. And that brings in all the four elements. And it, and it talks about how, you know, it ascends from up to heaven and descends again, newborn on the earth and the superior inferior is increased in power its force or power is entire if converted to earth and again there's those themes of earth and the threshold of the abyss and all these elements and i don't know it kind of seemed very appropriate for for this one of that the fours does in make particular sense. yeah that makes a lot of sense i mean it's sort of a process of completion just like we try to do in alchemically in the great work and it does make me think, you know, the, the white stone or the white elixir was supposed to be different from the philosopher's stone in that, you know, the philosopher's stone is the final process from, I guess, Negredo, Albedo, Rubido 
Rubido. It's uh, right. The one thing or whatever. The one thing that confers immortality and turns lead into gold. But the white stone, which is sort of the, the interim, uh, albedo product is supposed to only be able to turn metals into silver. You know, it's really oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's sort of like, uh, that's why it's lunar. Yeah. Right. And it's also <laughs> code for distilled urine. Like all of these alchemical substances are kind of also have a gross bodily fluid counterpart (laughs) (laughs) in the same way that they have a refined spiritual counterpart. Right. When you think about alchemy in general, you know, the great search for the philosopher's stone was for, you know, for alchemists, it was a truly spiritual quest, but they were underwritten by people who really were in it for the gold. (laughs) (laughs) And this card is about being in it for the gold. (laughs) Yeah, yep. All right, shall we have a look at uh, Waitsmith? I guess it's time for that, yeah. Four, All right, Ryder Waitsmith. Yeah, Four of Pentacles. Oh, man, does he look constipated or what? <laughs> <laughs> he needs a squatty potty. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, I think this this version of Four of Pentacles really really bothers people sometimes because it reflects a face of ourselves that we really don't like to see so much. And she did really make it quite a negative feeling card. I mean, the guy literally has money on his mind, you know, and under his feet and in every way. And he's like the the weird posture of his arms, the way he's holding it kind of emphasizes that grasping Exactly. Grasping and, and holding and not letting go. And protecting. Yeah. 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 You know what I think is really interesting about this card that I, I never really noticed until this last year was that if you look at the f- position of the four pentacles, imagine if you turn them upside down, that's like the bottom of the tree, you know? Mm. So he's he's literally got the kingdom on top of his head. <laughs> yeah. You know? Interesting. Yeah. It's like... The, if you turn the tree upside down, the, you know, the, the kingdom has taken the place of the crown. You know, the thing itself, the material, um, the thing you rule has become more important than the thing that gives you life. So that's kind of interesting about him. Uh, the other interesting th- about his crown is that that's a crown that's similar to the crown of justice. If you remember that. Yeah, I think those are the only instances where we see this kind of toothed or mural crown. And we talked about that, I think, in the justice card as having to do with, you know, the locus genii, the spirit of the city. It's a it's a crown that is very much tied to place. Yeah, Um, it kind of even looks like the tops of the turrets of a castle. You know what I mean? Sure does. He's like a rook. (laughs) Yep. This background he's got behind him, there's more buildings in this card than in any other card in the deck. There's more stuff. Okay, here's something weird that happened. It's like, I have a bunch of thoughts about that city. Yeah. One thing that was really kind of strange when I was looking at it is I heard this little voice in my head and it said, Heavenly Jerusalem. And I'm not a Bible scholar. I have Uh a very limited comprehension of what that term even really means. So I looked it up and very interestingly enough, when you look at depictions, like artistic depictions of that idea, kind of like the thought, they're like a square 
with four gates on each side and each of the gates has three like openings so it's supposed to be i guess that the 12 tribes of israel or something which again the 12 makes me think of the sun because of the sun's journey through the 12 signs but if you look at it it's this square format that looks just like kind of very similar to the south card isn't that which i thought was super interesting so I don't know why that voice popped into my head and said that because I, like I said, I know almost zero about it. But nonetheless, oh, that's those what connections are in there. There's a reason. It's like latent knowledge. There's a ton of stuff in there that <laughs> we don't even get to get to sometimes. Yeah, but and then there's the there. idea of uh, cities as Malkut, you know. Mm-hmm. And here we are, the first time beneath the abyss in the suit of Earth. So there's a Malkuti flavor to this. Uh, and sure then there's the idea of a, the, the square is associated with this. And then you see that and you think town square. Yeah. And you think of Jupiter as, you know, being associated with the number four. So he's sitting on this, you know, four-sided thing. But then the relationship And there was something to- about the reason it's in a square format, this heavenly Jerusalem. I read that, you know, there's an earthly Jerusalem that was a circular format. And the heavenly Jerusalem is a square format because... It's supposed to be the idea of Earth in heaven rather than heaven in Earth. Oh, okay. It's like the so celestial Jerusalem or the heavenly Jerusalem, and it's and it's the the depictions of it were square because it was Earth in heaven. I see. I, so so there's a celestial know, one, a symbol of Earth, and a terrestrial one. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know. I don't just, know. I just thought yeah. that was really kind of kind of weird. Yeah, that's kind of cool though. Now the other thing that I always think about when I see the Rider Waite Smith version of this card is the story of King Midas. Absolutely. So, you know, m- most people probably know it, but I'll yeah, briefly, it's worth telling. Brief, briefly tell it. So, it's kind of a, you know, fable about the price of greed and power. Well, it starts out with Bacchus or Dionysus, however you want to refer to him, but he had, his foster father was the satyr Silenus. And Silenus got really drunk and uh, wandered off, <laughs> as satyrs are wont to do. That satyr theme brings in, you know, the devil card in Capricorn. Yeah. But anyway, Silenus gets drunk and wanders off, and, and King Midas finds him, brings him home, and ent- entertains him for 10 days, takes care of him, and then he brings him back to Bacchus, and Bacchus is so pleased that he brought his foster father back that he offers to reward King Midas with anything he desires. Uh And King Midas uh, (laughs) wishes that everything he touches turns to gold. He thinks this is great at first. He goes around touching twigs and this and that and turning it to gold. And he's like psyched. He's like, wow, look at what I got. Until Mm. he tries to have a meal and the bread Mm -hmm. turns to gold and he can't eat it. And you know, the wine turns to gold and he can't drink it. And his, his daughter goes to comfort him and she turns to gold. And (laughs) then he's like, he's like, Oh shit, what have I done? Right. (laughs) So he goes back to Bacchus and, you know, begs for him to take it away because he realizes that what folly it was to wish for that. And, um, so Bacchus does reverse his, his wish for him. And the, the, the other thing that's kind of interesting that, you know, goes along with the story is what happens after that. Yeah. So, so King Midas, because he realizes the error of his ways, he kind of renounces that part of himself and he becomes a worshiper of Pan. 
and goes off to the woods or whatever. Mm-hmm. And th- now this brings so Pan again that brings in Capricorn and the devil, mm-hmm. you know, the goat the goat figure. But then we get the sun figure here too because what happens so Midas ends up being present in the the court of Pan when Pan starts bragging that his his musical skills with his pipe are better than Apollo's. So now we have the sun coming <laughs> in, right? The sun never god, a good Apollo. idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, boasting, boasting, never a good idea. But anyway, so so there's the, this musical contest between Pan and Apollo to see who's the best. It's kind of like the fiddling with the devil or whatever. Mm-hmm. So so anyway, up, up at the trial, Apollo wins because his skill is superior. And uh, but Midas is foolish enough to disagree with the judges mm-hmm. and say that he thinks Pan's is better. Apollo says this guy must have the ears of an ass <laughs> and he ma- and he physically makes him have the ears of an ass so for the rest of his life he has to go around with these donkey ears on his head <laughs> yes and then after that there's a little bit more to that story yeah where... there is actually yeah. I didn't want to make it too long but Why you can not? tell no, go for it. okay so the little bit more of the story is that he's mortified obviously so he he wears like a giant turban or a hat or whatever it is and sort of you know what he could have used is that hat from the two of discs (laughs) no kidding man (laughs) Uh, we had a listener who um, referred me to some really wonderful um medieval hats called sugarloaf hats anyway but i digress there's that was actually a style the the condom style (laughs) (laughs) anyway but uh his barber was the only one was that the only the one secret. who knew it. Yeah, right. and he couldn't or keep it. Or some stories say it's his wife was the only one that that knew the secret. You it know, and it's a burning secret. And whoever it was could not keep the secret, but they knew they couldn't just like tell anybody. So they go and they uh, dig a hole in the ground and whisper the story into it, and then they like fill it back up again. But then a bed of reeds springs up in the meadow and. That's what the reeds are whispering. They say, King Midas has an ass's ears. <laughs> yeah, so whenever you're, you know, wandering through a meadow full of reeds, that's what they're trying to tell you. You think they get kind of tired of that, but, but it is a good lesson. And, you know, and I think that there might be a kind of reference to that. I've always wondered why this is the only card besides the Seven of Swords where the central figure is wearing furs right? The figure in the Seven of Swords is wearing sort of a fur-trimmed hat, fur-trimmed boots. And I always thought that that had to do with his sort of ability to visit other realms, kind of a shamanic thing, take on other forms, shapeshifter. But this, this sort of like fur-trimmed royal wear, royal garb that the king has on, makes me think of beast connections, you know, his connections to the devil, but also this story of as a punishment for your mm. for your blindness to anything outside the material, I'm going to make you into an animal, <laughs> you know? Yep. So there's that that reference to animal comforts and being deeply of the world. And that's something that I really associate with Capricorn, you know, the idea that um, you use everything on this earth, whether it's animal, vegetable, mineral. Like oh, that's in my- interesting too. Mm-hmm. That reminds me that heavenly Jerusalem, it said it was a, like a mineral place and that the streets were paved with gold and that it instead oh. of being the plant world, the plant life, the earthly realm, it was the mineral realm, which was kind of weird. Yeah. So it's chthonic in some way. There's something mm. about digging into the earth for its treasures. 
Yeah. That's kind of weird, huh? Yeah, yeah. Mm. There's an association of Saturn with animalic smells too, like civet and musk and leather and things like that. Yep. So that's something that I put in my clever beast Capricorn perfume mm. <laughs> for that very reason. And the other thing about this figure is that he's clothed in this sort of, well, he's got the red shoes on, which we talked a lot in this about in the sword courts, but also the sort of red garment. And that to me says that this guy, he is completely a man of the world. He's his passions, his desire for uh, worldly success governs him completely. There is sort of like a tiny, tiny bit of white poking out from his sleeve, I think. Well, isn't there also the blue border on the bottom oh, of the yeah, robe? Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. That's cool. Yeah. I guess the color of Hesed, the blue. It is a color of Hesed and Jupiter and all that. And, you know, the other thing that's that's interesting about this is that it's a stage card, and he is far, far away, far, far in the foreground of the city that he rules. So there's like a separation between mm. him and his purpose. Right. A disconnect there, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's like, not only am I going to take the wealth of this place that I govern for myself, I'm going to then hoard it away and build, you know, a separation between it and the people it's meant to serve so that I can have it for myself. Yeah, I'm going to build my bunker. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Mm, it's a tragic tale. <laughs> that reminds me a little bit this is i may cut this out because it's a real digression but last last night or yesterday i was um reading about uh i was reading jung's dreams memories reflections mm -hmm. and he was talking about how he had been as a child he had this sort of trance vision type thing about his um Sort of a, oh, the poop, the poop. Yeah, thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> City of God type thing, right? You know, he would go up to the throne of God and then he knew that something bad was going to happen. So he wouldn't allow himself to go further in that vision. But then he had this sort of crisis of spiritual crisis where he said, I'm just going to go through with it. And, <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> and what happens is that, you know, the God figure, the divine, lays a giant turd onto the world. <laughs> and it's okay. <laughs> you know, and that is, I guess, in, in his dream maker's language, you know, the, the fecundation of the earth or the, or the alchemical transmuting of waste into gold, you know, and that's also a theme in, I don't know if you've ever seen Hodorowsky's Holy Mountain. But you know, it's been on my to do list forever. And no, <laughs> I'm surprised I have not. Yeah, it was on mine forever, too. And I finally saw it this summer. Whoa, that is a trip. He depicts the alchemical process as literally turning shit into gold. There's something there's definitely some kind of theme in here about, you know, gold being a uh, a waste the product that laid the golden egg or <laughs> yeah. the golden turd. <laughs> yeah. And about finding the divine in the most debased, you know, mm. something about that. That also, um, to me, speaks to the relationship of the sun and the devil, right? You know, yeah. uh, finding the light in the most debased thing and the Lucifer myth. There's definitely a connect the dots somewhere in there. All right. So shall we look at the Thoth card? Sure. It's going to be a big one. <laughs> yeah. You know, I always used to get so confused by this card because they're not even round, these discs. <laughs> <laughs> well, square is appropriate for this card, square being a Hesed thing. 
the overview, I guess, is that we're literally doing an overview where it's an aerial view of a castle keep uh, with its four yeah, towers. Yeah, a fortress. In Lon Duquette's book, he mentioned uh, Crowley's Rite of Saturn, and the quote was, the fortress that is upon the frontier of the abyss. And that yeah. seems so appropriate, both because it comes from the Rite of Saturn, you know, mm-hmm. for Capricorn, and also where the has said the four is just below it is on the frontier of the abyss it makes so much sense that there should be a fortress there because the the perceived danger of the abyss and if you cross the abyss you're gonna lose everything right everything you know yeah Um, you're gonna have a complete stripping of identity you, you everything you cling to so it's sort of like the last bastion and the ascent of the tree where it's the coat closet of the tree right. <laughs> you know, where you keep everything that's valuable to you. Yeah. <laughs> Except I don't think you get a check ticket. <laughs> no, no. You have to be willing to give it all, give it all yeah. up. Yeah. And the, and the abyss itself, you know, again, is all of the forms of knowledge that, Da'at itself, the abyss, is sometimes translated as knowledge. Uh, then you have wisdom in Bina and understanding in Chokmah. Maybe You're that's the, a- in the Picatrix, that book that opens and closes. Maybe that's the priestess's ah, book there, you know? I like that. The card that crosses the abyss. Yeah. The idea that you give up everything, but but in return for the secrets and the knowledge. Well, not even in return, because, of, you know, you cannot take it with you if you if right. you seek the truth. Yeah. yeah. But here you're not giving up nothing. No. <laughs> you're packing it in the vault. So he, he has that line uh, from Book of Thought that says uh, he describes it as power which dominates and stabilizes, but manages more by negotiation, pacific methods than by assertion of itself. He speaks about it as a... Uh, the law constitution with no aggressive element. So this is a defensive posture more than anything, I guess. Yeah, he said law and order maintained by constant authority and vigilance. Yeah, vigilance, the eye of the devil. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you look at the, the image of the card and the other thing that stands out are those, Um, it's got the four elements on it. Sure so we does, talked a little yeah. bit about that. You know, when I look at this card, it reminds me of something. And what I realized it reminds me of are um, those mandalas. So sometimes you see Buddhist thangkas and they have this fourfold kind of fortressy looking thing on it with four gates at uh-huh. the cardinal points. Um, and you also see that uh, something very similar in what's called Kala Chakras. And mm-hmm. that's wheel of time and that again makes you think wheel jupiter time saturn right yeah. wheel of time they're yeah. these sand paintings that you know they they have these four fourfold symmetry and 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 then they get swept away after like the yeah. idea of impermanence and stuff <laughs> but it, looking at one of these kind of reminds me of those um thangkas and kala chakras and sand paintings and fourfold mandalas the mm-hmm. idea of the square palace of the body, the city of the gods. And they have these like T-shaped gates. The four gates are usually like these T-shapes. Yeah. And that makes me think of the Tau cross, you mm-hmm. know, of the universe card, you know, mm-hmm. the card of Saturn and the card of Earth. You see it also in the Aztec sunstone calendars, um, these representations of the universe. They all kind of look like this. 
And it's right. really interesting because, you know, even, even the word sunstone, okay, it brings in the sun and stone and earth and Saturn. And so it's just mm-hmm. kind of really interesting. There's some association in my mind between this image and all of those types of images. Absolutely. And I think it's like just a recognition of, you know, the world we live in, the four elements that define and prescribe our boundaries. And you can actually see that they're kind of in order counterclockwise, starting from the upper right. It goes kind of counterclockwise, fire, water, air, earth, like that. And it really is the the all we know. I think it's kind of interesting to think about the moat too and its relationship potentially with the sea of Bina. Yeah. Right. You know, it's sort of like. And there's also that idea, you know, of the four, the idea that if you add up one plus two plus three plus four, you get 10 and that's the material world. Malku, you know, I like the idea of the sea of Bina and I like, you kind of, kind of see the Southern gate there. There's a moat crossing Mm -hmm. it. Mm-hmm. But that's the only way in or out. Um, I right. mean, there are other doors, but they don't have any bridge uh, exactly. leading anywhere. And that kind of speaks to this idea. You know, this card, they often say that one of the divinatory meetings is power, but leading to nothing beyond that one. Exactly. You know, there's one way in and close the gate and there you go. Mm-hmm. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of idea of gates in this card in general, you know, which is, again, as we talked about before, that it's a. It's a term for Malkut. Yeah, it is. And, you know, and also it's kind of interesting to consider that we haven't really talked about the idea that Malkut itself is, you know, associated with Saturn in its way. In this, You know, so there's that yep. daughter-mother relationship between Bina and Saturn. Right. The universe kind of doing double duty for both Saturn and Earth. And the idea that between water and Earth, everything grows. <laughs> This fortress that we see on the Thoth card, it almost looks like, if you look at what's outside of the moat, it almost looks like it's like the capstone of a pyramid. Yeah. Doesn't yeah, it I kind of look mean. like that? Or if it like it's on top of a mountain or something or on it top of a plateau? It does look like that. There's definitely some perspective thing going on. Hmm. Which seems, yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. All of this. which would be appropriate. Mm-hmm. Being a plateau is appropriate for a four. Being a pyramid is appropriate for a four. Um, and the idea that you have to climb it is appropriate for Capricorn the goat. Yeah, being on top <laughs> of a mountain or a hill is is appropriate for Capricorn and for Malkut. And yeah, interesting. Yeah, the goat can climb the hill and then he can go, the fishy part can swim in the, <laughs> in the moat. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But yeah, it does look like that as if it's uh, the sides of the pyramid might be receding down below you. And then that the the idea that you look at it and what's in the center, nothing. Yeah, it's it's hollow. It's empty. Mm-hmm. It's almost like it's a a prison or that it's just the emptiness of power or something like that. You know, it's interesting. I'm just comparing it to the sun card, to Crowley's sun card, which also has the hill that has the, the hill wall with around the structure it. on top. Yeah. 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 And it's sort of like you go to, you pass that structure to ascend to the top of the hill to, to feel the light of the sun. You know, that's the point of that ascent, uh, the green mountain. But here, it's almost like the point is to look down and have a place to keep your stuff. <laughs> right. <laughs> but there's nothing really there. <laughs> and the other thing about those elements is that the four elements are also on the two of discs. But unlike here, the four elements are stable. 
you know, and the two, mm-hmm. the four elements were in fluctuation and change. And here the four elements are boom, you know, that's right. Yep. And the, the four elements in this card also in that one too, I guess, brings to mind the universe card, you know, with the four tetramorphs, mm-hmm. you know, the four Karubic creatures. Yeah, that's interesting. They're not in the um, places, the elements not aren't in the places, but that the, you expect. the idea of the four, the split, you know into four. So there was also the association that Crowley has with an I Ching card. And he only did this as we discussed, I guess, in the, uh, probably in the six of cups. He only did this for the sun cards. Who knows why? I don't think he had a fully worked out theory. Yeah. But he associates this with the second hexagram, Gun, which is all yin. It's all broken lines. You know, and I think there is a rationale for that. I'm not sure how far he got with it, but Earth itself is considered a yin principle. So you have the combination of it being a solar card, and but then being in Earth, so that makes it um, ultimately receptive. And so we have, again, that theme of the container being the whole point of the thing. There's something, too, about the idea of time in this yeah. card. You know, both... There's Saturn as time, and there's Sun as a marker of time. But the yeah. fact that they say this card, you know, not power leading to nothing beyond, makes me think of the Sun as being like the day or the moment. Mm-hmm. Nothing beyond the day or the moment. Yeah, I think the idea is like the fortifications of Saturn. This is a built environment that's meant to withstand the depredations of time for a really, really long time. And also the idea that you need the wealth and rulership conferred by the sun to be able to have the resources to even do such a thing. To build the fortress. Trying to see if there's any sort of relationship with the devil card, particularly. Always in thought, you can sort of see how it picks up the colors. Yeah. From the majors. Yeah, so the colors are cool in this card because um, there's such a a contrast. So the the main color of the card is deep azure flecked yellow, which is cool. It's kind of like the light of the sun in the darkness or something, you know? Yeah. Those are the two colors of the sun card contrasted with the devil card. The sun card, the colors are all golds, oranges, yellows an amber flecked red and then the devil cards are all blacks indigos you know dark cold grays and things like that and so there's like a super contrast between the colors Mm -hmm. and then in that one color it brings them together yeah it's really quite a beautiful combination you know totally i do love the color combination that that contrast that strong contrast and you definitely get the feeling that this is something that is deep light and shadow that contrast of you know, the sun high above and the devil ruling the depths below. And, you know, this is something that's we're viewing from above in broad sunlight, creating mm. the greatest contrasts possible. The uh, sides of the towers are, you know, deeply in shadow. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, with light, there is shadow, that whole thing. Exactly. All right. So let's move on to your card in Tabula Mundi. Oh, I love this card. I love that guy. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's It's pretty intense. Yeah. Yeah, I, so, I sometimes call this card the vault, and it, I guess that's probably more because of Rosetta's version mm. than this one so much, but it applies in both, you know, and in Rosetta's card, it's showing the giant door of a bank vault. Yeah, but yeah anyway, that's so such a great card, card. We're bringing together the themes of the devil card and the sun card. 
and I, I kind of like how the the fortress in this card, which we'll talk about what it is, it, it almost looks a little bit like the the entranceway to to Crowley's, you know. At the oh, it totally does. Moment. Yeah, it yeah. has the same sort of uh, angles and perspective a little Simil- bit. Similar mm-hmm. structure. So what's in my card, it's it's something called, um, they're pylons. There's two real meanings for me of, of pylons. One is, you know, the physical structure of pylons, which were at temple entrances mm-hmm. and they protect. So, and then you also see, you also see pylons. Well, in Egyptian hieroglyphs, the pylon glyph was supposed to be the horizon of two hills between which the sun rose and set. So that oh, brings neat. in, you know, the solar theme. But then, yeah, pylons, just like in the death card in Rider Wait. But pylons are also this idea of threshold or gate, which again brings in a Malkut gate type thing, a portal or a gate. And, you know, in the Book of the Dead, you see a lot about the guardians of the pylons, these demons that guarded these gates. They, they, they were like gates between mankind and God. And they often took these guardians or demons often took animal forms, yeah. which is kind of interesting in terms of the Capricorn devil yeah. beast type thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, those are pylons. And then pylons... They were also, they were often, like in the real world, these these temple entrances were decorated all with themes that described the power and the authority of kings, which again seems quite appropriate. Totally apt. So you see behind the card, there's we have that color of the deep azure flecked yellow, you know, the, mm. the sunlight, the light within the darkness. Let's see, what else do we have in here? We have the diamond shape of the four coins i guess you would call them and uh, again the diamond is another form of portal or or entry or gate so if we go look at what's on the coins the top one has this you know emperor with the solar crown seven points kind of as the this idea of the sun as the ruler of the planet kind of the idea of an emperor and it says soli invictus on it which sol invictus was like a emperor sun god type mm-hmm. figure and soli invicto um meant to the unconquered sun there's yeah. like the idea of the sun's sovereignty and nice. uh, nature um and it's both soli invicto is associated both with apollo which is the sun and jupiter the ruler of the gods so i can see why emperors kind of liked that theme mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah he's got a seven point star type crown thing happening that's like the rulership of the sun over the seven planets you know, kind mm-hmm. of thing then we get the um two crowns on the left and right and those are the crowns directly from the sun serpents in my sun card the serpents oh, are yeah. wearing wearing crowns i consider sometimes the straight flames or points like that as being a, a masculine yeah. Whereas the curvy form being a more feminine. So this idea of entwined opposites kind of. Yeah. And crowns in general are just symbols of the monarchy and of power. And then uh, the last, the bottom coin has that emblem from the sun card with the eye on it. And that kind of reflects also the idea of the, the devil and the eye, the A and the eye, the center of the head. So in, in the sun card itself, it's more, you know, the the pineal gland, the face, resh meaning head or face, and oh, the right. eye yeah. of mm-hmm. the third eye. But here in this context, it's used kind of also reflect on the idea of the devil as the eye. So, you know, different symbols can have different 
meanings placed on. But here it's both. It does double duty. It's both the sun and right. Capricorn. Then we got uh, the the devil face or the green man face that's from the devil card. So if you look at the devil card, he's got just like a, a lot of old school devils had this face on the belly. You know, it brings in this idea of man's you know, all consuming appetites and, and greed and always wanting more, this this ravenousness of covetousness and desire. Um, yeah. But also, you know, from a green man perspective, it's oh, yeah, the persistence more, of life. Yeah. It brought in the face of the belly for that that idea, but then the green man itself is kind of a solar influence rather than a devil influence because Mm -hmm. the green man you know he was the i would call him a solar god that he was like a guardian of the gate between animals and man Mm -hmm. so again we have this idea of a type of guardian and guarding and a gate and bringing in that animalian devil thing but also that solar life force thing of of green growth between the world of man and plants and animals. You know, it's interesting in the uh, Wildwood tarot, they use the green man as the emperor, which, you know, is kind of a solar reference in the sense that there's always all kinds mm-hmm. of sun kind of references on on emperor cards. But yeah, the sun being yeah. exalted in Aries. Yeah. You know, there is a sense of rulership about the green man in that he is invincible. Exactly. You cannot conquer him. And there's some parallel between the green man and also the pine cone in in the sun emblem on this card with uh, Bacchus or Dionysus springing in. Oh, that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Again, to Pan, Bacchus, that, that idea of um, lordship over nature, you know. Yeah. And the, bo- and the body of the dying god and things like that. Yeah. And also just the nature of greenness, you know, has a solar component. I mean, green is, you know, the, the center. Yeah. yeah, the center of the spectrum. And that's why our world is green to take the, the, the greatest advantage possible of the sun's light. Yeah, everything turns towards the sun. So I think that covers everything that's in the card pretty much. I like his wolverine teeth. <laughs> yeah, he just looks all so fierce, man. Yeah, he does. He does. Imagine him going, Arr! yeah. Oh, hey, that's I'm- funny too, because Crowley in, in, he talks a ton in the, Four of discs in Book of Thoth about the, those guttural sounds. Oh, right. Yeah. The g and k sounds. Yeah. This guy looks like he's making those. My yeah. castle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what about, um, so I'm just looking at the background of the, you know, there's a separation between the sort of, uh, indigo flecked gold and the sort of black sky above it. Can you, can you talk about that a little bit? There's not really much to say other than black is one of the colors of the devil mm-hmm. and that. Mm-hmm. The idea of the contrast of dark and light that is just part of the meaning of the card, you know? Usually, not in Crowley's card because of that open courtyard, but a lot of times mm-hmm. in these vaults, it's hidden away from the light. Most of the time. <laughs> because yeah, if there's a window, right. that's a that's a vulnerability. <laughs> it was mm. funny. I was I started write down kind of some keywords for themes of this card, and all of a yeah. sudden I realized that every single one of them started with S, and I'm like, all right, Ooh. why? I have no idea why, but the keywords that I wrote down all in a row were status, structure, stability, satisfaction, security, stubbornness, and stagnation. And Saturn and Satan. Yes, maybe that's why. (laughs) Serpent. Hmm. Um, Sun and Saturn both start with S2. Maybe that's why. I don't know. Go figure. So do you get this card much? Somewhat. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I do. I think somewhat. Not a lot, not a ton, but more than some others. Yeah, what do I get it for? A lot of times it is for, you know, a definite material result of something. Money, yeah. you know, in other words. Yeah. It's, it's often a message to me to, like, knock that off, stop being greedy, you know? Mm. Well, I get it for kind of a bunch of different things. I don't get it, like, very often, but sort of on the positive side, it's often a card of family for me, of, like, everybody. My family happens to have four people, so, like, when we're all in one place, I tend to oh, see Oh, I can... I can see that because Capricorn and Cancer are the axis of the father and the mother, you know? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And also the historical sort of ties to the Marseille card where, you know, there's always a family coat of arms in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then um, I've gotten it for, oh, yeah, I'm always getting it for car stuff, (laughs) you know, because of the four Four wheels. wheels. (laughs) Yes, exactly. It's sort of like, you know, I remember we had a day when, We had one car in the shop, which was five of, I got five of pentacles for that because it was sort of broken. And then four of pentacles for the car that brought us home. For the bill. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Seriously. And uh, I got it the day I learned to teach my daughter to ride her bike because I was on a bike too. So four wheels again. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, I got it the day I changed my tires, you know, stuff like that. But then I also get it for, you know, those money concerns kind of dealing with household stuff. I got it one day when I went to my, I, I went to Smith College where I teach in the spring and I, I was assigned a classroom and I looked at my classroom and I was like, Oh my God, this is a sad cave. <laughs> and there was no light. It was like gloomy darkness. It was like, exactly. Yeah. It was exactly like a vault. It was the saddest thing ever. It turned out to be a perfectly fine classroom, but um, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> that's another message I often get from this card is the need to, you know, open the doors of the vault, like break out of something that's like of being overly consistent or consistent to a fall or yeah, and, and let some fresh air into the situation, you know? Yeah, it's sort of like, you know, to um, break the chains of the devil by remembering the purpose of the uh, goods or the money or whatever it is, you know, yeah. figure out what it's for rather than than thinking it's that's kind of a little bit of an echo of the 10 of discs mm-hmm. because there's a theme there too of not yeah of pass, paying it using forward what you have the wealth you've accumulated it seems to be there's a little bit of a parallel there i totally see that i sort of think of the 10 as like paying it down to the next generation whereas the four is more of like a a tax card it's like paying for the general good yeah, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Four is definitely a number of society in the world. Ten is uh, as a as a number of generations and continuity into the future through the family. Oh yeah, and I forgot to mention it about the pylons, but um, they were often associated with the god Amun Ra, which is interesting because he's a god of Hesed. Interesting. Alrighty, maybe we're ready to sum this up. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think we. I remember, I said, "Oh, I only have half an hour's worth of stuff." <laughs> and I said, "Nope." <laughs> to sum it up, we've been talking about the Lord of Power or Earthly Power. This is the final decan in Capricorn, and our uh, sort of uh, summit of the all of the materialism we've been talking about in the two, three, and four of Pentacles talked about the sort of engines of industry, the 
buildings and constructions and now the the rulership and treasure of that sign. How about uh, the bank vault? The oh, image the of the vault. uh the bank vault or the fortress. The the old new year and the lighting of the fires, the burning of the clavy and the carrying of <laughs> of the drinking cask, singing and drinking and dancing. The story of King Midas, both the story of everything he touches turning to gold and that he was kind of an ass. <laughs> His beast qualities and uh, the animal nature. The image of the enthroned king. That reminds me, I should have said this in the Kabbalah, that the uh, the part of the soul that's associated with Asiya is nefesh, the animal soul. The association with the sun and the devil, uh, where... The sun is high in the sky, casting shadows down to the devil where the sun don't shine. <laughs> Freedom versus yeah. captivity. And the, the idea of the shadow of the devil and how absolute power corrupts absolutely. Mm -hmm. The increase of the light and the hiding of treasure in darkness. And Lucifer the light bringer. And his great fall. His relationship with knowledge and our uneasiness with uh, the power of knowledge and carnality. The sun as the ruler of the planets, the devil as the uh, chief executive officer, <laughs> and the uh, and Jupiter as uh, the god of excess. Yeah, and Jupiter as the demiurge, the god below god who rules over the things of this world. And he of obedience to the law, the maker of laws. Mm -hmm. as well as tyranny and despotism and avarice. The question of whether wealth buys freedom, whether it's uh, protection or a prison. Yeah, doomsday preparation, billionaires in their bunkers. <laughs> the idea of chesed as limitless good, as benevolence, the and how we miss the point when we try to confine it within walls. And the mercy of Hesed giving versus the power or strength of Geborah as taking away. The fours as gathering up the resources and putting them in the coat closet of the abyss. <laughs> <laughs> the fortress Yeah, the fortress on the frontier of the abyss or the coat closet on the frontier <laughs> of the abyss. The angel Zadkiel who stayed the hand of Abraham and the demon Astaroth, he of math and invisibility and treasures. Mm. The emerald tablet, the philosopher's stone and the operation of the sun. The lunar medicine or the white elixir <laughs> and the turds laid beneath the throne. <laughs> God's dump. <laughs> oh, God. That's funny. Yeah, that's funny. I was just going to say the mural crown and the animal furs of Midas. The uh, heavenly Jerusalem. And other cosmological mandalas, thankas, kalachakras, and Aztec sunstones. The cities of the gods and gates shaped like a T. The green man and his solar invincible powers of return. The square palace as a metaphor for the universe, but also of the body. The idea of Hesed as the builder that has built something from Binah's will to form. Soli Invicto and Sol Invictus. 
And the power which dominates and stabilizes. Uh, and but... guardians of the pylons. Wow, there was a lot in this card, actually. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, it's supposed to be the, um, you know, the entire manifest or established universe. <laughs> there is more in this coat closet than meets the eye. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for rummaging through the closet with all of us and uh, exploring all the treasures hidden therein. And we shall be back next week with the very first of our Taurus cards, the five of pentacles or discs. See you then. And that's our episode for this week. If you love Fortune's Wheelhouse, and really, who doesn't, you may want to pick up the book version of the podcast. It's called Tarot Deciphered, Decoding Esoteric Symbolism in Modern Tarot, and it's available both online and in bookstores. In Tarot Deciphered, you can find just about everything we talk about in the podcast. Well, almost everything. There aren't quite so many dick jokes. And it's over 600 pages, so when you're not reading it, you can use it as a doorstop, or a paperweight, or a flower press. Whatever floats your boat. If you'd like to connect with over a thousand smart, nice, and most importantly, like-minded friends on social media, you can visit the Fortune's Wheelhouse Academy group on Facebook, which is open to all. Many of us, including myself, are there every day posting our daily draws and spells to go with them, and it's a great place to see esoteric tarot in action. Fortune's Wheelhouse has a red bubble shop where you can load up on Fortune's Wheelhouse merch, including coffee mugs, t-shirts, and notebooks printed with all the astrological correspondences of the minor arcana, because we are nerds. That is at redbubble.com slash people slash wheelhouse93 slash shop. Mel's main store, where you can read her articles and subscribe to her newsletter, is at tarotcart.com. Her auction site, which has periodic offerings of out-of-print items, one-of-a-kind items, art prints, and original art, is at tarotcart.auction. And her website for new work and updates on her projects is, as always, tabulamundi.com. You can find me at tsusanchang.com, where you can find links to my classes, sign up for a reading or mentorship session, and learn about my upcoming events. And if you're interested in my custom arcana cases and silken brocade for your decks, and my customized astrological perfumes, you can find those at etsy.com slash shop slash tarotista. You can also get talismanic eight of wands, keychains, and luggage tags there because everybody needs those. So come visit us online and pick up something wonderful for a tarot-loving friend or just for yourself because you are a hero of the astral plane and we so appreciate your support. <laughs>